because my abuser, Franco Zeffirelli, he was abused as a boy by a, uh, a priest in Florence, but there possibly could have been uh, one of the popes. Welcome to the Secret Life Podcast. Tell me your secret. I'll tell you mine. The best way to support the show is to subscribe and share. If you haven't left a review or ratings on iTunes, please do. It helps more people find our show. And if you want to be on it, please shoot me a note at secretlifepodcast at iCloud.com. Now enjoy the show. Welcome to Secret Life Podcast. I'm Brianne Davis-Gant. Today, I'm pulling back the curtains of all kinds of human secrets. We'll hear about what people are hiding from themselves or others. You know, those deep, dark secrets we probably want to go to our grave with? Or those lighter, funnier secrets that are just plain embarrassing? Really, the how, what, when, where, and why of it all. Today, my guest is Jonathan. Now, Jonathan, I have a question for you. Bum, bum, bum. What is your secret? I've been uh, part of the SLAW program for the last three years. Oh, I did not know that. What made you walk into the rooms? Did something happen? Did you, you know, what was that moment? Well, I I spoke out about being sexually molested in 1992 Mm -hmm. during the course of the Me Too movement. And what that made me realize was I really haven't dealt with this in the way that I, I can now. And uh, I started to become an advocate for uh, sexual uh, abuse survivors. Yeah. I became a big voice for pretty much uh, the voiceless uh, world of uh, clergy abuse. And it became very yucky for my wife and she couldn't handle it. And, um, mm-hmm. and it made me realize that maybe I was insane again. Really? Because yeah. you started bringing it out in the open and you felt insane? Yeah, she was, she, you know, had a lot to do with her. She was right. very concerned about me, and I was, and my shrink was too. Mm-hmm. And they had an intervention, and in, during the course of that intervention, it was really about my anger that I had towards uh, the religion that I had grown up with, and uh, that it was exploiting people. And uh, I was furious about it and how it, it affected my life because my abuser, Franco Zeffirelli, he was abused as a boy by a um, a priest in Florence, but wow. there possibly could have been uh, one of the popes. No. So when that all kind of started to unravel, it's not to make a conspiracy that I don't believe in any of that. And I started working with um, the SNAP network, which is a uh, clergy abuse survivors. And mm-hmm. I, I started to really learn a lot about what, what goes through the lives of someone who was sexually abused. And I was, I was relating to it a great deal. So mm-hmm. men, especially. Um, Well, it's interesting. I have to say, starting this podcast and also being in this slaw program, I, which is Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous, is I haven't, men don't talk about it, but a lot of men have been sexually abused. Women talk about it more freely, but I have to tell you, majority of the men I know all have been sexually abused. One in six. It's That's crazy. I mean, I, I, and especially doing this podcast, a lot of the men I have on also had the same experience. Yeah, it's and it, it's not something you really. You sh- I wouldn't recommend talking about in public. You'll find it a lot in the anonymous world, mm-hmm. but uh, I've taken it upon myself to actually speak about it a great deal. So, when did that happen to you? What age? I was twenty-two years old. It was my first 
screen test. It was the mm-hmm. first really audition I ever had that that led to a screen test in Cinete Ta in Rome. And after the screen test, mm-hmm. uh, Franco came into my uh, hotel room uh, uninvited and, uh, and sexually molested me. During the course of that, I had um, an erection and ejaculation within a very short spare time because I was scared. Mm-hmm. I was nervous and my body being male reacts a certain way. Yeah. Uh, that, that I had to live with for a very long time. Did that bring a lot of shame? Because I understand that your body reacts even though your mind doesn't want it to. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's exactly mm-hmm. what happened. And then that's pretty much what I, my bottom line in the slow program is shame. So I've been able to give up shame for the last three years of my life. Oh, I love that because that's the hardest shame and like secrets are what kill us, I believe, and make us disconnect from our reality. Was that happening before, before the intervention? Cause you said there was an intervention. No, I, I was the anger. It was part of the process. I, I was dealing with realizing what was really there mm-hmm. as opposed to what I had thought was there all along. You know, I questioned my sexuality for such a long time. I, you know, I never felt comfortable. I could never be intimate. I could never, uh, I never allow um, good things to happen to me. I was always pushing harder and I just hated myself. My self-esteem was very low. And, you know, being in our industry, being an actor, you constantly have to reinvent yourself and kind of go out there and and fight again. And I had this incredible shame every, every experience, every time I would walk into an audition room and I always thought it was just because of my dyslexia. Mm-hmm. But that was just an added element to the whole process because after that first film that I did, I went and made the movie with Franco. He never touched me again physically, sexually, um, and he was very angry about that. And at the end, he dubbed my voice. He used another actor to dub my voice. And you can imagine I was just wow concerned about, like, oh, I gave up my entire life. I moved out to California and studied really hard. And during the course of that, my acting coach, when I came back from making the film with Franco Zeffirelli, Franco decided that he was going to punish me, I guess, and, uh, and, and never wanted to see me again. So therefore, he used another actor. In the course of that, my acting coach, who I relied on, he passed mm-hmm. away August 8th of 1993. Wow. So in the, in the, in the span of a year, I, had my, my, I was good friends with Ellen DeGeneres. I was walking her around, being her beard during the course of that time. So... I could see that I wasn't I wasn't gay because I she was gay and she couldn't be who she wanted to be and here she was hiding but I wasn't gay but I was so confused about my own sexuality because of my experience with Zeffirelli that horrible one night experience that he came into my hotel room which he was uninvited and it was a um, what I probably considered for my religion to be a sin it turned out to be 20 years later I'm realizing it was a crime yeah Everything you're saying to me, I, I've had experiences very similar. I remember when I was hitting my bottom and I and I couldn't walk into an audition room because I felt like I wasn't attached to myself. So I was playing and being an actor in my real life and wearing these masks and then having to go into these rooms wearing another you know, mask of being an actor. Does that make sense? Like I was so disconnected from my body and I couldn't put intimacy and sex together. Yeah. That I was just disconnected from everything in my life. Yeah, absolutely. The same thing I was. And then to have someone take your craft that you put your heart and soul into 
pretty much eliminate your voice, take, giving you no voice and putting another actor's voice over it. I can imagine how traumatizing that could be. Yeah, the resilience in me was great. It was the time in, in which I really excelled. Instead of killing myself, which I attempted numerous occasions, I decided that I would fight for myself. And I worked very hard. I would go to Esalen, um, which is a place up north. And, and I was trying to get past and trying to identify what that was. But no one could ever put it into context, nor could I ever believe that I would allow that to happen to me. Right. Um, not, Pretty much everything that anyone, any male would ever tell me, um, I had told myself for over all of these years, buried it so that I wouldn't have to deal with it. Issues of homosexuality, I questioned all the way across. Mm -hmm. I just questioned every part of my being and everything was attached to the craft of acting. But that that can't completely fulfill you. Even though you're pushing yourself and you're succeeding, it will never fix you. No, not at all. Is that what happened? Did you hit this place where you like what you used to do to, you know, get out of that, to give, put it into your art? Did it stop working? Cause it stopped working for me. I mean, I remember this specific time I was on set and I was like, this isn't filling me anymore in the way I thought it was going to. Yeah. I was making these, I was playing these toxic human beings. And I was very good at those things. And I didn't want to be that anymore. It was, it was, manifesting in my real life. And I'm a very fun, loving, sweet soul kind. And um, I can play very horrible human beings very well. And I still can because I'm an actor. Me too. <laughs> but but I, I wanted more out of my life and it really had to come down. It came down to my son. I, I literally would look at my little boy and I thought to myself, I, I have got to figure my shit out. Yeah part of the AA program. I'd been part of uh, Narcotics Anonymous and I'd gone through those steps and I, and I constantly kept going back to my religious God, the God that I was brought up on. And, right. and I was finally able to, when I working through the SLAW program, I was able to set aside that religion as something that my parents tried to raise me with. And what they really raised me with was a great understanding of a higher power. Once I was able to separate that, then I was able to really move forward into my life. I, I, it was so, it's so funny. You just said that because yesterday I heard this quote and I want to share it with you. It says, religion is for people who are scared to go to hell and spirit spirituality is for people who have already been through hell. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that amazing? When I, someone said that to me, I was like, oh my God, that's totally right. Because once you have a God bigger than your understanding, not in the religious sense, we usually go through hell. And that sounds like where you were at that moment when your wife said, you know, something's got to change. Yeah. You know, the thing was, they were about 10 years too late. <laughs> okay. Explain. So there was a time when I really needed help. I really needed an intervention. I, I've gone through two divorces mm -hmm. and that first divorce just literally crushed me. And I put myself in such harm, you know, harmful places constantly, daily, you know, nightly trying to, you know, rid myself of this hatred. And that was, you know, me attempting to, to get rid of that self-hate, but there wasn't a positive way of doing it. No, <laughs> it you didn't have the tools. We don't have the tools. No one guided me. No one helped me. And that's when I need the intervention. That's when I need my family to reach out and help me. Mm -hmm. uh, I had a, I've obviously, it was a good actor in my real life that they thought everything was fine, but it wasn't. So when my wife said that to me, I realized... Finally, someone had really loved me enough mm -hmm. to 
to do that. And that was, you know, my sister flew out and they sat down and my sister like went through all my uh, pharmaceuticals, uh, all my prescription drugs. And I was like, yeah, these are, these are, these are because the doctor that I went to finally, you know, was trying to help me mm-hmm. get to the place where I could be okay. And uh, these are the things I have to do. These are the things that work. The place that I am, you guys just, it's just unusual. <laughs> it's, I'm not insane. These, yeah. This is true. They're 9% of the priesthood was pedophiles and they were feasting on young children. And that's a problem when you're, when you're believing in that divinity, that yeah. fake divinity they present themselves to be. And no that one, was supposed to protect you. Yeah, no one's no human being is ordained to be uh, your spirit to, to dictate your spiritual worthiness. That's no, it's ins- insanity. Yeah, humans are all flawed. We all have flaws. There's no way we can put our faith into a man, right? You know, especially right now. Yeah, well, it's always been the same. <laughs> <laughs> so that moment, let's call it D Day. I always like to call it that because it's that moment where you step into a new reality. So, what was that first, you know, walking into the rooms or making the call, you know, to get into the rooms to look at your disconnect between your sexuality, your truth, and intimacy? It was literally like, you know, I knew the program worked. Program always worked, but I was I could never do the twelve step. I could do the twelve step, but I couldn't relate to an alcoholic, like mm-hmm. the, the book says. And then I could never relate to narcotics. I could give that up very easily. But what I could not give up was hating myself and and this anger, uh, yeah. this ability to be intimate and loving. And so when I um I had been through SAA, which is Sex Addicts Anonymous, mm-hmm. and um, it, that again, it wasn't something that. It just wasn't the same. It just, it didn't work for me. But when I walked into the meetings at Slaw, it was like the, um, it was the Broken Hearts Club. Yeah. (laughs) And I was like, wow. So the steps are, I think six of them are about a higher power and six of them about self. So I was like, man, this is, this is my home. This is where I can thrive here. I'm an emotional human being. And um, I did. I was around a bunch of men that had very similar experiences to me. And uh, for the first time, I realized outside of my survivors that I wasn't alone. Yeah. And you weren't broken. That's what I got. I I sat around there and I was like, wow, I'm not broken. There isn't something wrong with me. Yeah. And it just, and I, and I love that you said it was about self-hatred because I try to explain to a lot of people, the sex and love addicts program is not about really sex and it's not about love. You know, it's about relationships with other people, but truly what you get from the program is self-love. Yeah. You know, you you have it so that you're um, not codependent upon the other either. Right. Beautiful thing in relationships. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That Because if you're always depending on someone else, they're going to fail you. There's no other way. They can't fulfill your need. Yep. So I always like to put these secrets with the seven deadly sins, not in the religious sense, more in the character defect. So I'm going to name them for you. Let me know if any of these ring true for what you went through. Anger. Anger, definitely. You said anger for sure. What about pride, greed, lust, gluttony, envy, or sloth? Definitely not sloth. You know, pride's always been an issue. Male, male pride is. Yeah. Decent. But I, I've learned that I, I don't need to be right. I just need to try to get it right. 
Oh, I love that. Because I always attach pride with ego. It's when my ego is in control. And that means for me, edging God out. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Because we can't rely on someone we don't see. And if I wasn't taken care of during this sexual trauma I had, why do I want to turn something over to something I can't see? Yeah. What about the others? Greed, lust, gluttony, and envy. Yeah, well, the lust part would be like, the physical touch, like the, the, the get rid of the uh, pain, you know, you use this flesh, you know, get uh, substance from physical encounters, which is hard to, to realize that it's uh, not fulfilling that deeper desire. Mm-hmm. You know, if you have sex with somebody and you afterwards you feel like shit, <laughs> you're not living at your, at the place where you're supposed to be. Yeah, you're thinking, huh? I'm not supposed to feel like this after this experience. There's a great, there's great slaws out here. You would love them. They're uh, they're mostly female. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, you get such a kick out of being around with girls. <laughs> I do too. I love the co-ed meetings. I love them because it gave me a chance to see the other sex. Yeah. As human, you get to sit there and listen to a man tell his truth and cry or a woman, if that's who you're attracted to, and it, and it humanizes them. So you can't use them as an object anymore. Yeah. It's, it goes, to, it goes for everything. You can't just place people in a category and, and dehumanize them. It causes a lot of problems. I have a question for you. If you don't want to answer it, don't worry. But I started the program with my husband and you started the program right with your wife, correct? She's all anon. So what happened after she did the um, intervention was, you know, she was able to see me in a different way. Yeah. Then she was able to, ref- I reflected it back for her in a very beautiful way. And then she realized that the higher power that I was seeking and fighting for, she she went to. So she she went to Al-Anon. Oh, that's great. Yeah. And so it, it's it's given me a lot more freedom. You know, I really wanted my relationship with, with my wife to work. Yeah. You know, we had a child and I wanted her to get everything she wanted out of life. But I, you know, I have it. I'll shut off. Like I'm a spiritual creature. So I'm, I'll just, I turned myself off so that she could feel okay. Um, I wanted the work. And so what it, what it did was when she went to Al-Anon, she was able to accept me for, for all that I am. And, um, and, and so, you know, not to control this (laughs) addict, uh, insane, creative, beautiful person that I am. Yeah. I mean, for my husband, he's been in programs for 30 years and it really gave us a chance to grow separately to then grow together. Now, I don't get to talk to a lot of men that are in relationships when they start the program and go through the process. How difficult was that for you to, you know, start working the program and being married? You know, I was, uh, I've been in the program for such a long time, but I, I just felt like it was just the the group that I could actually relate to. Like you, you have to find that group that works. Mm-hmm. So I, Slaw was not the original program, but mm-hmm. you know I even used my AA sponsor mostly throughout my Slaw program. <laughs> <laughs> he was just like, okay, so what are we giving up now? <laughs> yeah, what's the next layer? What's the next onion you're peeling? <laughs> it never stops either. It's like, oh. <laughs> It's just a beautiful thing, man. I love it. Walking the steps. I love people walking with me. 
So was that hard but though? I know you tra- you've been in programs, but then to start, I here's my thing, because a lot of people say, you know, the slaw sex and love addicts is one of the hardest programs because it really deals with the abandonment, the fear, the trauma. It's like what we cover up all the other addictions on top of. So I've had people come in that's been addicted to heroin and they've said, I can give up heroin, but I can't give up this girl. I gave up alcohol, but I can't give up this relationship. Do you find it was harder for you? Um, No, I found it was glorious. When Julie got into Al-Anon, it became easy. Mm. Yeah. We had, um, we had words that were the same and we had, we had a spirit that was the same. We had an understanding of a higher power that was the same. Whatever else we had learned in our lives or were given, uh, we could apply them to what we were working through. And, uh, and it just brought us deeper in love. And, and, and once all the secrets were out, she, you know, the beautiful thing about love is you have to love people for who they really are and not what you want them to be. Yeah. That was my, my goal with, with my wife is that um, I'm so sick of people loving me for, for the things that I've done in my life and being the, the person that could take them on the red carpet or get them that, you know, get them their opportunity or reflect mm-hmm. their life in a certain way. And I was really good at that. And I did that a long time. I was the best reflection for a lot of people. And, um, and, and they all excelled and they, they all moved on with their lives. But, uh, you know, I, I didn't have, I didn't have anyone in my life and that's what I really wanted Ugh. because I, because I was able to uh, find my bliss again. Uh, we have a beautiful baby girl. I'm on the other side, um, three years sober, uh, from bottom line of shame. And this little baby, you know, is beautiful. She cries and she's, smiles and she is full of life and in the best possible way and i know that not every day is going to be easy but i just constantly go at it every single day so that i can be as present for my children as i as i can be that is so beautiful and it's ringing true for me and my husband that darkest moment now we have a language now we can communicate now there's a chance you know, to even grow together and separate. And that's, and I just love that you had a little girl and you get to like give her that sobriety that you did not have. Yeah, I know. It's beautiful. I'm really grateful for for having a little girl. You know, being part of that Me Too movement, I was around women for three years. Uh, I learned so much. I just, I can't even tell you how strong that movement was. Yeah. More powerful. Well, my last question for you, if anyone's going out there, they've had a sexual traumatic experience, especially as a man, what would be your advice for them? Look into the programs. If, if you have a drug and alcohol problem, you should go to the uh, AA or, or Narcotics Anonymous. They're the best solution for you. Um, you seek help. Know that you're not alone. And uh, the most important thing is get to the place where you realize it's not your fault. Because if you constantly keep blaming yourself, that that's a sense of guilt when there's when that has nothing to do with you. You know, it's, it's it was it was a criminal act. It's, it wasn't a sin uh, defined by somebody else. It was actually a crime. And um, sexual violence causes so much harm inside the psyche that you need a support team. You need a community of people that can understand you. That those communities are the people that are in these slaw programs. You're not alone. Yeah. 
Well, thank you so much for sharing your secrets and your story and letting go of the shame. Thank you. How many movies we've worked together? Oh yeah, we've went like four, I think. <laughs> yeah, we've, <laughs> we've a lot of movies together. Oh my god, we've worked together so many times, and it's so funny because you were going through your journey and I was going through mine at the same times we were working together, and we were on location and stuff. You're a really kind, kind man, and I've always enjoyed working with you and had fun. So I I have a romantic lead in a movie that I haven't had in a very long time. <gasps> Oh, I know. It's a movie called Blue Ridge. I'm really, I'm, it's my first, I had to, and you, you will appreciate this. It's my first shame-free role. <laughs> oh my God. Congratulations to the Thank other you. side. <laughs> so all that, all that fake art was gone. Was, yeah. It's on Voodoo right now, which is, you can get it on Roku. Okay. And then I don't know what's going to happen next, but it'll be on, it'll, it has many lives. It'll have many lives. It's a yeah. very good movie with Graham Greene. Sarah Lancaster. It's a really good group of individuals. I'm really proud of the movie. Oh, I'm so happy for you. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you for having me on your podcast. Well, if you want to be on the show, please email me at secretlifepodcast at iCloud.com. Until next time. Thank you again for listening to Secret Life Podcast. Please subscribe, share, send me a note. And you can always support the show with a donation on our site, secretlifepodcast.com. Until next time, bye.